Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. After months of campaigning, the 2018 midterm election is finally over. On today's show, we break down the results. We'll start on the national level by talking with NPR's Ron Elving, then bring it down to a local level with two Southern Arizona journalists. We'll also check in with a couple of voters to hear what they think of the results. Ballots are still being counted across Arizona, and we're still waiting on the outcome of the hotly contested U.S. Senate race between Martha McSally and Kirsten Sinema. Nationally, most results are in. We started our talk with NPR senior editor Ron Elving by discussing the balance of power in the House and Senate. Here we had a case of the House pretty much behaving as predicted. We don't have a final count on the seats yet, but it looks like it's going to be somewhere in the low to mid-30s, that being the number that the Democrats picked up in terms of net takeaways in the House. Uh, they lost virtually no seats, and they picked up about three dozen from the Republicans, which would be, oddly enough, maybe it doesn't seem odd to everyone, but in the Trump era, anything that goes by the books seems a little odd. So I I have to say the historical average when a president's approval in the Gallup poll is under 50 percent, as President Trump's has consistently been for pretty much the whole two years, his party loses 36 seats in the House of Representatives in the first midterm election. We may be one or two off, but we might be really close to 36. Well, predictability is always a nice and a rare thing, it seems like, these days. Uh, The president said the day after the election that Republicans who didn't embrace him lost. Uh, Here in Arizona, Wendy Rogers, uh, who was running in the first congressional district, her signs had his name on them. She lost Martha McSally in the Senate race, obviously still very tight here. Did the president really make a difference for Republicans? He did, and it was not always positive. But the other half of the assessment of this whole midterm election, apart from the loss of the House, is mostly the gains that the Republicans made in the Senate. If McSally is the winner in Arizona, and if the Florida result is not overturned by recount, and that recount is going ahead, the Republicans could have as many as 54 seats in the new Congress, the 116th Congress beginning in January. That would be three more that they have in the current Congress, the 115th, which is 51. Now, they started the Congress with a 52 count in the Senate. So it's really only two more than they had at the beginning of the last uh, Senate term. But of course, Jeff Sessions' seat wound up going to a Democrat in a special election, Doug Jones. But unless Kristen Sinema overcomes McSally, it appears that the Republicans are on track to get 54 seats in the Senate. Now, that gives a lot more breathing room to Mitch McConnell. That's the positive side of the Republican result. And if you start talking about that, then the president gets happy and says that he saved the Senate for the Republicans by going to Florida and North Dakota and Missouri and Indiana, all states where they won, apparently including Florida, and picked up a seat. And also uh, by going to places like Arizona and lending his support to a Senate candidate who appears to have won there. So he has a lot of bragging rights, even though he went to some states where the Republicans lost. And obviously, some of the House members do not feel as though either his behavior as president or his endorsement helped them win re-election. Here in Arizona, we also saw a seat flip. The second congressional district went from Republican, held by Martha McSally, to a Democrat and Kirkpatrick. Since it looks like McSally could win this, 
What does that say about referendums on the president that her old seat flipped? It says that her seat was probably more reflective of the overall Arizona political climate, which is uh, much more purple than uh, red or blue. And it also says that it's more reflective of the West. And the West in general, with possibly the exception of Idaho and Utah, perhaps Wyoming, uh, the West has really become an area where both parties can compete. Now, on the absolute coastal districts, the absolute coastal cities on the Pacific, the Democrats are obviously dominant. But as soon as you move even slightly inland in Washington, Oregon, California, and certainly into the mountain states, uh, then it becomes much more competitive for Republicans and even in many cases quite friendly to the Republicans. That's the West. The Western part of the United States is more competitive for both parties. And depending on the office, depending on the individual, depending on the particular issue that seems to be salient in that district or state, either party can play. We're talking with NPR senior editor and correspondent Ron Elving. Congressman Raul Grijalva on election night uh, told us that he believes the Natural Resources Committee, which he will most likely chair come January, will launch an investigation into Interior Secretary Ryan Zenke. He also said it's time for uh, bipartisan action. Does an investigation like that ruin the chance of anything bipartisan happening? There's a debate over whether or not a House of Representatives in particular can do its normal business uh, while it's also focusing on investigating a president. Uh, There's evidence on both sides. If you go back to 1998 and the impeachment of Bill Clinton, there was also some legislation moving forward, although there was a great deal of energy devoted to the Clinton investigations. Back a little further to 1973, 1974, with the impeachment of Richard Nixon, there certainly was other business going on. There was uh, a war on in the Middle East. Uh, We were facing an oil embargo. We were facing long lines at the gas pumps. People were busy trying to deal with all of those problems, even as Richard Nixon's impeachment went forward. And we have had other times, uh, particularly during the Clinton administration, when shy of impeachment, Congress dominated by the party, not the presidents, in that case, of course, the Republicans, they spent an awful lot of time. There was one point in, I believe, 1995, 96, 97, uh, before impeachment really got underway, when I counted 26 House committees or House subcommittees that were investigating either the presidency itself, White House, or they were looking at one of the cabinet officials or one of the people who would be the equivalent of Ryan Zinke. That's a lot of investigations. And yet those Congresses, those Republican-dominated House and Senates, they did quite a bit of legislating as well and in the end wound up making quite a few deals with Bill Clinton. So even under the worst of what would appear to be the worst of investigative circumstances and combat between the White House and the Congress, some things can get done. With the House going Democratic come January with the start of the new Congress, when the current Congress returns to Washington for the lame duck session, do we see a big push for things like wall funding? Yes. I believe that between now and December 7th, which is the time when the Department of Homeland Security's money runs out, uh, along with several other departments, but that's the one everybody's watching most, when that happens, there will be no more money for border enforcement, for immigration control and enforcement. Uh, We will not have 
the usual means for dealing with border issues. So that would be a bad time to be having any sort of crisis such as we are having with respect to people who are already here and in detention. Uh, we are all familiar with the separation of families and how some of that is still going on. There's a great deal to deal with in backlog. And as we know, more people trying to come to the United States who are in various parts of Mexico at this point, Mexico City and to the south, and still want to come here and apply for asylum. So a terrible time, really, to have this particular crisis. But the president knows that after the new Congress is seated in January, there'll be no chance of getting cooperation from the House on the full bill for a full wall from the Pacific to the Gulf of Mexico. Price estimates on that run in the 20s of billions, and um, the House is not going to appropriate that money once the Democrats are in charge. And in fact, even the Senate in the last couple of budgets has not been willing to put up serious money for a full wall because the Democrats dig their heels in, and because they can filibuster legislation, they would have to get at least seven or eight or nine Democrats to go along with that kind of funding. So the Senate has been blocking it for the last two years. The House can certainly block it in the next two years. So the president has a very narrow window in which he will try and threaten and, and possibly even be willing to shut down the government if he doesn't get his wall by December 7th. All right, Ron. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to chat. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. That was NPR senior editor Ron Elving. You can find a complete rundown of Arizona election results on our website, news.azpm.org. The day after the election, we caught up with Democrat Gary Jones and Republican John Dalton. Both are active in their parties and voted in Tuesday's election. I asked if they were surprised by any of the outcomes. Well, nationally uh, and locally, I would say not necessarily. Um, obviously, as coming from the Republican perspective, it's something that we would have obviously wished to have held onto the House of Representatives, but looking at election trends, you know, in years past, this is not something that's unusual. But uh, we're glad to keep the Senate. Obviously, the Senate race here in Arizona is something that we wish we would have, uh, you know, pulled out ahead further, but it was expected to be a close race, I would probably say. Absolutely. Uh, and I would concur. I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by anything except the buildup on the false rhetoric of uh, the immigration caravan. Uh, that was a surprise to me that that uh, took, appeared to take some traction and, uh, and was believed by a number of people. But the outcomes, uh, about what I expected, uh, kind of like John, the Democrats took the House in a pretty significant way and lost a few seats. Of course, they were defending quite a few seats this year in, in, the, in the Senate, and that situation will reverse in 2020. When it comes to the Senate, and as we're taping this, we don't know what the outcome is. Hopefully, we'll know soon. Why do you both think your voters, you're engaged? Why was this race so close? Well, I would say mostly because both of these members of Congress that are running for the U.S. Senate seat really represent uh, districts that are 50-50 districts, slightly in favor of the party opposite in which they hold, or they're, they're part of. And when you run into that in, in a statewide race, you're going to come into a uh, really close election when it comes to the results for at least for us in this 2018 Senate race. Well, I think that Kirsten has outperformed most, most expectations. It's been quite a while since a Democrat has won a statewide uh, election. Uh, I, I believe the last few numbers I checked, uh, 
Kirsten is uh, trailing Martha by a, by a bit, 15,000 votes, 17,000 votes with 80,000 ballots outstanding in Pima County alone. So I think there's a good chance that she pulls it out. And if so, that's a major, major uh, change in the demographics and the, and the outcomes in, in, in Arizona. Let's talk about candidate outreach. Throughout the election, our TVs were certainly flooded with plenty of ads, especially in that Senate race, both from both candidates and outside groups. But Gary, as a Democrat, did other candidates like David Garcia, do you think, do enough to reach out to voters? Well, David was outspent by, estimates vary by, but by the numbers that I've looked at, at least six to one, maybe 10 to one or even more. And so he, he didn't have the ammunition necessary. The other thing that showed up, I, I believe, was David's inexperience in, in running statewide races. He's never held elective office. He's never won an election. He came very close in the state superintendent race uh, a few years ago, and he did an admirable job here. I think that he was a good candidate. I think the key issue that he was banking on uh, was taken away, the referendum on the voter funding uh, initiative for education by the Supreme Court, which was stacked by Ducey. So I think that David uh, performed very, very well considering the obstacles that were set, set against him. Did he do enough? Well, the answer is obviously no. He lost. The long-awaited Latino wave is yet to materialize in Arizona. John, let me ask you, as a Republican voter and someone who's engaged, did a candidate like uh, Nick Pearson in the 3rd Congressional District, Wendy Rogers in the 1st Congressional District, they haven't won, but did they do enough to reach out to voters, do you think? I think in both cases, they did a lot to reach out to voters. But if you look at the demographics of the districts, especially with uh, Raul Grijalva's district and uh, Nick Pearson challenging him uh, for the seat, it's kind of difficult to really get an election win out of a district like the 3rd District. It's been held by a Democrat for a while and Raul Grijalva kind of has a real stronghold there. And we could have run, you know, a bigger name person, if you will, and I, don't, I still don't think we would have been able to pull that off, but we can get close, gain support for the Republican agenda. It's the day after Election Day, and we are talking with two voters, uh, Gary Jones and John Dalton. What do you think the issues that were driving this election were? And did the candidates speak to them enough to get voters out, or did the candidates speak to just what they wanted to speak to? I think that the uh, election was largely a referendum on Trump. And no matter what the candidates said, uh, some of them stayed away from that issue. For example, Kirsten Sinema stayed away from that issue uh, largely because she was focusing not only on Democrats, but trying to bring independents in, in under the blue tent. And she was pretty successful at doing that, it looks like. But uh, many candidates shied away from taking Trump on in, in some places. On a national basis, some took it on uh, full on, like Beto and uh, Andrew Gillum and, and, and others, and lost. So I think the outcome of that uh, on that issue is, is mixed. Uh, obviously, uh, the Democrats took back the House, which is no small achievement. It's a giant achievement. It means that there's going to be some accountability on Trump going forward and his administration and his cabinet members going forward. That said, the issues uh, here in Arizona of uh, health care was, uh, was what Kirsten Sinema and Ann Kirkpatrick focused on, and, and that uh, obviously garnered quite a bit of support. John, what do you think? Was this a referendum on the president uh, in, in the voters' eyes, either for or against the president? Uh, I don't necessarily think it was a referendum against the president. I don't think looking at 
the House would be a really good synopsis of, of that. Looking at the Senate, though, we did make gains in the Senate, and that is really what uh, President Trump was focused on, was either maintaining or gaining in the Senate. And that's what he did. Uh, if you look at where he was campaigning across the nation and who he was campaigning for, it was for Senate candidates. So if anything, it's more in his favor. Obviously, without the House, it's not you know the full story. But uh, overall, I think that he's satisfied with where he's at right now. What do you both voters want to see out of Congress now that we have split chambers? Well, I think you're going to see hopefully more agreement on both sides, maybe coming to the center on a lot of issues to get things accomplished and get things done. On the Senate side, the advantage for President Trump is obviously he'll be able to pass through his, um, his appointees easier. And I think that's huge for him, one of the main goals that he had in reasoning why he was going after the Senate so hard. Um, when it comes to the House, again, I think that's something he can work with. But again, Democrats and Republicans are going to have to come to the table together to get things done. I hope that's the case. The issues that we need to work on is very long. Okay, and uh, in no particular order, that includes climate change, comprehensive immigration reform, uh, dealing with the federal deficit. Okay, the tax cuts that were passed in December of last year cut about $1.9 trillion over the next 10 years through 2027. And in, tw in the year 2027, 83% of those benefits will accrue to the top 1%. Uh, there's gun violence and so criminal justice reform and infrastructure. So there's a long list of opportunities for bipartisanship, which is what is going to be required. And I hope that that is the case. All right, John Dalton, Gary Jones, thanks so much for sitting down with us uh, the day after the election. This week, we're breaking down midterm election results. Earlier, we talked about the national races. Now we'll get more local with journalist Sarah Garrett Gasson. She's the editorial page editor at the Arizona Daily Star. And Dan Scherer, he's the editor of the Green Valley News and Salarita Sun. We're one day after the election, still plenty of counting to do. But based on what we know, any surprises? I don't know that it's a surprise, but Proposition 463, the Pima County Road bond plan went down in flames. And I, I guess I'm surprised in the sense that everyone always complains about the roads. There's some a way to, to tackle it, and the voters say no, because it's uh, a bond. It's, it's taxes. So I think that was a surprise, but kind of not really a surprise at the same time. But the, the parks bond passed. Right. But the parks is only for the city of Tucson. And so we'll have to get the voter information to find out if the road bond passed within the city limits, but not in the county. I think, I mean, the way the numbers are, people within the city of Tucson had to vote against it as well for it to sink so badly. But what are we going to do now other than keep complaining about the crummy roads? But I think the, the bond vote for the roads, why it went down is uh, this was basically a referendum on Pima County. And a lot of people simply do not trust them with their money. Now, whether that is warranted or not is a really good question. But that was the narrative being put out there by Allie Miller, for the most part, one of our county supervisors, that uh, there has been money wasted on this and this and this and this. And I heard the commercial, uh, you know, 50 times. And I thought, you know, if people really knew the decisions behind those, then she wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have gone down so hard. 
But I did see a turn in the last three weeks or so in our area where people were saying, you know what, this probably just isn't the best way to fix your roads because a bond is very expensive. It's $430 million. And then you tack on uh, whatever additional is to that. It could be, you know, $550, $600 million before you get it paid back. I think people just thought, let's try a different way. Let's jump to some of the congressional races. In the second congressional district, Ann Kirkpatrick won. She won by double digits. Two years ago, Martha McSally won the exact same district by double digits. Kirkpatrick, obviously a Democrat. McSally, obviously a Republican. Does that say anything about that district? It's a very interesting district because it's basically rough numbers 40, 40, 20. Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Judging from the feedback we get at the letters to the editor, from talking to people, from uh, how big the margin was for Ann Kirkpatrick, I think that if Martha McSally had run for re-election in CD2, she would have lost. I think with Martha McSally in the race, it would have been a much more high-energy campaign. I think what was missing here was energy and Leah Marquez-Peterson blew it, frankly, in the primary where she should have been out there more, basically sharpening her debate skills against her three primary opponents. And then she would have been ready to come out in August against Ann Kirkpatrick and really mix it up regarding the issues. There simply was no spark in that uh, race, and I was not surprised at the results in the least. The fact is Ann Kirkpatrick has the experience, and she sounded like it, and uh, she's headed back to Congress, and she earned it. People don't realize this. The parties are saying who can win, not who's the best. So I'm not saying Lee Marcus Peterson wasn't the best of the four people in her primary, but I wonder if one of the other candidates could have given Ann Kirkpatrick a better run for her money. Did we see that in the governor's race also on the Democratic side, uh, looking at the three Democrats who were running? I talked to a lot of people after the primary that said Steve Farley on the Democratic side was the best person to handle the job on the Democratic side, but maybe was not the best candidate. And would things have been different if Steve Farley had been running as opposed to David Garcia? Boy, that's a really good question, too. But remember, Farley would have been up against exactly what Martha McSally was, which is uh, name recognition up in that uh, Phoenix area. And that's why she spent so much time up there over the past six months or so and should have because Martha McSally n needs those votes out of Maricopa County. Steve Farley is a better campaigner. And I will say, after, after having interviewed David Garcia a couple of times, excellent candidate, really knows his stuff, but I think he was seen as a one-issue candidate on education, which he's excellent on and has some really interesting ideas, but frankly, he didn't have a prayer ever in that race because it's Arizona. Dan, you're, you're right about the one-issue candidate, which is a great issue at the Arizona Daily Star's editorial board. That is one of our top two issues. But when you have a statewide race in a job that requires many more facets of it, economic development, everything else, you can't have one answer for every question, especially not an answer that isn't a short-term kind of thing. We're talking with Sarah Garrett Gasson and Dan Scherer about the outcome of the midterm elections. The president, after the election, came out uh, and made a statement about Republicans who lost, who did not embrace him, and that's part of the reason that they lost. 
looking at Arizona, Wendy Rogers in the 1st Congressional District had his name on her sign, so certainly she embraced him. Martha McSally very much embraced him, and she is in a very tight race. Does the president just not play in Arizona? I don't really think that he's much of a factor, to be honest with you. And that was our kind of our running debate over the last few months is, is it better to be with him or is it better to, to have him campaign for you out of the state where you're running, uh, you know, which is probably better. You'll take the money he can bring in, but you really don't want him there. Well, she had him come. She had his son come also and candidate for her. And I guess uh, it looks like it's paying off so far, but I'm just not convinced he's as big a factor as people like like to think because I think that the people who like him are probably already going to vote for the Republican. I think that he was a motivating factor in the level of success we've seen from Kirsten Cinema. Martha McSally embracing Donald Trump was not going to be some overwhelming force for Republicans to say, gosh darn it, I'm going to vote for her. But I do think that contrast with McSally and Trump and that whole agenda did serve Kirsten Cinema well because it gave her a good foil to run against. And it's still too close to call at this point. But I don't know. I don't think you can make any sort of sweeping judgment one way or the other. Let's circle back for a minute almost to where we started on propositions. Two big ones on the statewide ballot, 127 dealing with renewable energy, 305 dealing with uh, school vouchers, uh, empowerment scholarships. Both failed. Any surprises there? I was surprised that 305 failed so tremendously because it's a very Republican issue. The makeup of the state legislature has changed a bit in the House, but not, I mean, it's still Republican held. And so I guess I assumed that with people voting for Republicans in all the other many races that they would support using taxpayer money for private school tuition for kids. But it went down. And on both of these issues, you already had a little bit of of the pie. And so what the voters were being asked is, give us more. So on the empowerment scholarships, I think people were saying, you know what, we already have those in place. We really don't need to expand them on the renewable energy. We already have this goal, but to go up to 50%. And then of course, everyone's hearing that that uh, commercial that says your Powerball is going to go up a thousand bucks a year. And that hits them in the pocketbook. And I think that really kind of tanked it also. All right, we'll leave it there. Dan, Sarah, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thanks for having us. Thanks. That was Sarah Garrett Gasson, editorial page editor at the Arizona Daily Star, and Dan Scherer, editor of the Green Valley News and Saurita Sun. You can find all of AZPM's election reporting on our website, news.azpm.org. And that's the buzz for this week. A look ahead to next week, we'll explore the friendliness of Tucson streets for bike commuters and the ways the city is working to further improve ease and safety for bicyclists. Find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Steve Riggs, Trey Diston, and Kate Jager recorded our voter interview. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.